one day Jesus was teaching in the temple, and um, he was there next to the place where they gave the offering, and he was watching as the, the people came, and they put large sums of money, and I think you could probably, since it was coins, they probably heard the clang of the coins, and it was pretty impressive. And then he talked about the, the, the poor woman, the widow, who dropped in the two small coins, the mites. We call them the widow's mites today. They found a bunch of them in excavations at the, uh, at the Temple Mount. Uh, we call them that for her honor. But Jesus explained to his disciples how that she had given more because she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything that she had, while the other folks gave out of their surplus. And so Jesus calls us for that type of sacrifice. But at that time, uh, Jesus noticed that the disciples, they were... They were in awe of this building, of this temple. I mean, you've got to understand this first century temple, it was one, it was huge. It was gilded. Uh, it was uh, covered in gold. There were jewels on the wall. There were probably piles of treasure as people brought their, their offerings to God. And so the disciples, they were really impressed by this. And that's when Jesus told them, he was a prediction of the future. He said there won't be one stone left on top of another. I bet that was hard for them to understand with the opulence and the size of this building. So no doubt it shocked them when Jesus told them that it would be destroyed. And it was in 70 AD. The Romans tore it all down. Uh, but then the disciples asked him, they said, how will we know when this is coming? And so we find Jesus' answer in Luke chapter 21 when he said this, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be great earthquakes and there's going to be famines and plagues throughout the lands and there'll be terrifying things and great miraculous things from heaven, signs from heaven. But before this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged in front of, in front of kings. You will be dragged in front of governors because you are my followers. Because of me. But this will be the opportunity for you to tell them about me. This will be an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So don't worry in advance about how you're going to answer. Don't worry in advance about the words because I'm going to give them to you and I'll give you such wisdoms that your opponents won't be able to argue with you. Even those closest to you, your parents, your brothers, your relatives, your friends, they're going to hate you because of me. They're going to betray you. They will kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not one hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Jesus was telling his disciples that persecution is just going to be a matter of fact. It's going to happen. You know, I always try to define what words mean if I'm preaching about I'm preaching about persecution, so I looked it up. And you know, Webster's definition is basically uh, to pursue in a manner to injure, to grieve, or to afflict. But it also says to harass. And so that's the definition of persecution. And the prevailing opinion about uh, persecution in our world today is torture or imprisonment 
or execution. Kind of like when the ISIS guys were kidnapping people and cutting their heads off. That's kind of what we see when we think about persecution. And a lot of people believe that if it doesn't arise to that, then it's not really persecution at all. Folks, Christians have been persecuted since the beginning of the church. It started with the scourge and the crucifixion of Jesus. A guy named Saul, who would become Paul, persecuted early Christians. He held the coats of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they stoned Stephen to death. He was riding on his way to Damascus in pursuit of Christians when Jesus knocked him off his horse. Paul was persecuting Christians. He persecuted Christians in Jerusalem and they started to flee. They left. That's why he was chasing them to Damascus. It's kind of funny, when they left, they took the gospel with them. And that's how the growth of the first church expanded, was through persecution. It first started with the Jews persecuting Christians, then the Romans. Uh, Persecution's been around uh, for a long time. The apostles were persecuted severely. Christians were fed to the lions by Tiberius. They were burned alive by Nero. Persecution has persisted. History records that Christians have been persecuted by the state, by religious organizations, by secular organizations, and sometimes at the hands of other Christians because of differing beliefs. It's been a reality since the beginning of time. And contrary to popular opinion, I believe it exists in our world today, in our current time. Governments around the world are persecuting Christians in modern times. There's no doubt about that. I read a story about a pastor by the name of Wang Yi. And he was pastor of uh, the Early Rain Covenant Church in a city of Chengdu in the Sichuan province of China. And uh, he was, um, he was a, an illegal church. In China, you have to register as a church. And then you have to submit to the regulations of the state. For example, Christian churches can't display crosses. And so Wang Yi refused to register his church, and he was an open critic of state leader Xi Jinping. And so Wang Yi and his wife and all of his leaders were rounded up in a midnight raid one night and as a part of a crackdown on illegal churches. His property was seized. All of his possessions were taken by the state, and he was sentenced to nine years in prison for inciting uh, riots against the, the state and for illegal business practices. None of that was ever really ever explained. He stated that he will, uh, even though he denies his charges, he will serve out his time and he sees it as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So persecution does exist. Jesus warned his followers that we'd be dragged before governors and we'd be dragged before leaders In our day, that means maybe being taken to court where we are. And so persecution is real. Uh, A lot of people argue that we don't don't have persecution at the hands of our government, that we're not suffering from that in our country. And I would tend to uh, beg to differ on that. You know, there were, uh, you guys probably remember me talking about it and you've heard about it, there was fairness legislation that proliferated. It, It traveled throughout the states, through cities and local municipalities, and this legislation uh, portended to extend the Civil Rights Act of the 1960s to the LBGTQ community, which in of itself is not a bad thing, but 
if you really read and paid attention to the documents, it was less about extending rights to, to that community and more about stripping rights from conservative Christians. That's why I led an effort when it came to our community to make sure that exemptions for religious freedom were included in the ordinances. In our city of Midway, it was ceremoniously removed, the exemption was. They celebrated taking it out. Luckily, in the city of Versailles and in Woodford County, it was included, which helps to make sure that you are free, not just to believe what you believe, but to live it out. There was uh, ordinances that lacked these exemptions, have been tested in our state. There was a man by the name of Blaine Adamson who owned a printer. And the Gay and Lesbian Services Organization approached him about printing t-shirts to promote a gay, gay pride uh, festival. And so Blaine uh, was a Christian. He had, had stated that his, his business was to be run by Christian principles. He declined to print the t-shirts because of his sincerely held religious beliefs. He went as far as to negotiate contracts with more than one printer to make sure that this organization uh, could get their shirts printed at the same cost that he would have charged. It didn't help. The, uh, the Gay and Lesbian Service Organization actually filed a complaint with the Lexington Human Rights Commission, and they quickly ruled against Mr. Adamson. They basically said that he had to make a choice. He had to choose between doing business in the public sector and practicing his religious freedom, but that he couldn't do both. They told him that he had to print the shirts, that he was as mandatory that he printed the shirts, and that he and his entire staff had to go through diversity training to, quote, help them change their views. In socialist bloc countries, they call that re-education. But they ruled against him. He... Uh, appealed the order, and um, even though the, that this predated, you know, the Religious Freedom Act, uh, the Re Religious Freedom Restoration Act of Kentucky, two courts ruled in favor of Adamson. The latter, the highest court that ruled, basically stated that the Human Rights Commission's mandate to print the shirts was tantamount to the government compelling speech, which is a direct violation of the First Amendment. The Human Rights Commission continued to appeal the rulings until it reached the level of the Kentucky Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in 2019 ruled in favor of Blaine Adamson, but not for the reasons that would set a precedent that what happened here was a violation of religious freedom. See, they said that the Gay and Lesbian Service Organization uh, could not file a complaint with the Human Rights Commission because they were an organization that only individuals were protected by the Human Rights Commission. So it was a victory for Mr. Adamson, but as far as a, a, a precedent for religious freedom, it kind of ended at a draw. And you guys have probably heard, uh, no doubt, of the, the name Kim Davis. Kim Davis is the county clerk of Round County. She was the county clerk of Round County. I knew her. I grew up in Round County, and I her, her mother was the county clerk for probably more than a decade, and then she won the seat. It's an elected position. Kim was originally married to the best friend of my older brother. But she made international news when, after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of uh, gay marriage, same-sex unions, 
she made news because she refused to, to issue a marriage license for same-sex union. Now, what the press said is that she was against gay marriage, but that is not her reasoning. Her reasoning was is she had to sign those marriage licenses, and, she, and her name was printed on the marriage license. See, Kim, in 2010, converted to Christianity and became an apostolic Christian. And so she felt that signing this license, having this license with her name on it, would be the same as affirming something that she believed was against her sincerely held religious beliefs. And so that's why she refused to do it. Then Governor Steve Bashir had an opportunity to accommodate her. The state law, and it's still the state law, she's a state employee. County clerks are state employees. And so as a state employee, the government is supposed to accommodate someone with their religious beliefs as long as it doesn't create an undue burden on the government of the taxpayers. Governor Bashir refused to intervene in any way. And a same-sex couple sued uh, Kim Davis, and she was taken before a federal court in a federal court judge in a neighboring county. He summarily dismissed her claims to religious freedom and ordered her to issue the licenses. He gave her 10 days to comply. When she came back before the same judge, she still refused based on the same grounds. He held her in contempt of court, and she was led away by federal marshals and lodged in a local jail. She was arrested, in my opinion, because of her religious beliefs. Five days later, she was released when she promised that she would not um, interfere with her deputies issuing the licenses. You know, to this day, the reports claim that she was doing this in protest of gay marriage. That's not true. She was doing it because she didn't want to affirm a same-sex union by signing the document. And you know, in, in December of 2015, I know this guy's not popular in a lot of realms, but Governor, then-Governor Matt Bevan issued an executive order with one signature that took the names of all of the county clerks off of all of the forms in the state of Kentucky. In my opinion, Governor Bashir could have done that and could have accommodated her without all of this mess, without all of this debacle. It wasn't over for Kim Davis. She was mocked mercilessly in our culture, including a nasty skit on Saturday Night Live that made fun of her appearance. I have personal friends that mocked her and made fun of her because of her uncut hair and because of her long skirts that she wore as a part of her apostolic faith. Does that not sound like persecution to you? I, I believe personally that she was persecuted. She lost her re-election bid uh, in, the, in the next election, and members of the Hollywood elite actually supported the opposing candidates. And so she paid a pretty big price for standing based on her religious beliefs. Those laws uh, were first pursued at the local level, the ones that Adamson and Davis, I believe, fell prey to. And it's because the efforts to pass them on the state and the federal levels didn't work for a long time. Then the Supreme Court affirmed uh, same-sex marriage. Now Congress is actually taking up uh, what's called the Equality Act, which kind of takes these ordinances on a federal level and puts them on steroids. And I, there's a lot in there. Folks, you really ought to read this. There's a lot in there that I think really does strip 
especially conservative Christians, of their rights just to live out our faith. I think you need to pay attention to that. It passed in the House of Representatives, but it's so far failed to pass in the Senate. But I don't think we've heard the last of it. I think that you'd have to be tone deaf or an outright denial to say that Christians aren't being persecuted in our own time today. I read an article in the Huffington Post. It was posted in 2019. And the title of it was, Christians in the U.S. are not being persecuted. It was written by two uh, professors. One, an associate professor of theology, and another, a professor of women, gender, and and, uh, sexual studies of religion, which is a weird title. But both made the case that Christians in the U.S. are not surfacing or uh, suffering from persecution. They state that Christians' claims of persecution are noted in the fact that they're just not willing to get with the times. It's literally what they said. They admit that Christians are experiencing sanctions, but they're implying that they deserve it for not adopting cultural progressive theology. They say that a baker, for example, forced to bake a cake for a same-sex union is not being persecuted. They suggest that a Christian baker like this is being punished for their refusal to bend their Christian beliefs. They state in the article, they they quote from the article, in academic theology, outsider voices have emerged in the theology of of liberation. That's, that's That's a loaded term. Theologies that begin not with sacred text or a set of doctrines, but with the lived experiences of oppressed people. These theologies present new possibilities for imagining God from the perspectives of the poor, people of color, women, queer, and trans people. They're claiming that that being sanctioned by the government for conservative Christian beliefs is not persecution, it's just punishment for us refusing to do anything more than hold true to what they call the sacred text. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but the sacred text is the Bible. They're saying that we deserve punishment when we won't get with the times. When we won't change our views of the Bible. And that's the most concerning statement of that quote that I shared with you. It's the critique that Christians are wrong for their unbending attitude about the sacred text, the Bible. Their unwillingness to bend on the inspired word of God. Our refusal to interpret the Bible based on cultural trends. Getting with the times. They're saying that the harassment and sanction from the government is justified because we deny to let go of the inerrant truth of God's Word. That's a tenet of progressive Christianity. And those two terms, progressive Christianity, are really in conflict with each other, in my opinion. That, that tenet is that the Word of God should be malleable. That the Word of God, that we need to change it as we kind of progress in, in, in whatever, knowledge or whatever. That we need to be willing to change the Word of God to meet people's lived experiences. Folks, that's dangerous. That, that is terribly dangerous. That has eternal consequences if we lead people in that direction. And I think we're going to have to stand before the highest power in the universe and we're going to have to answer for that if that's the way we go. 
Abraham Lincoln once said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. That if we falter, if we lose our freedom, it'll be because we've destroyed ourselves. I think that's true for the church. I've talked about the, the, all the threats from the outside, but we have a threat from the inside. I believe that's true of the church. But let me make something really clear. They can't destroy the gospel. That can't happen. I mean, they've been trying for over 2,000 years. But we still have the truth of God. They can't get rid of it. As much as they've tried to stamp it out, that's never going to happen. So don't hear me wrong. But I think the influence of the church can be minimalized if we allow this progressive creep to infiltrate the bride of Christ, to infiltrate the church. Some of you may be visiting here today. Some of you may find yourself in another community in the future. You may find yourself in another church. I want to give you a couple of warnings. If you ever hear someone say that the Word of God is a good, the Bible, that it's a good moral guidepost, but we really shouldn't take it that literally, you need to leave. If you hear someone in the pulpit say that the, that the Word of God is something that's, that's old and ancient and we need to kind of revise our interpretations based on modern times, you need to go. If you hear people say, uh, if you hear something from the pulpit, if a minister says, you know, there's more than one way to approach God, there, if, there, one of their favorite sayings is there's more than one road that leads to the light, you need to run. You need to get out of there because, folks, that is heresy. Progressive theology is heresy. It's an apostasy. The warnings, it's, it's amazing. There's warnings all throughout the Bible about this. And it's the same, it's the same stuff that they're, they're saying. This, they're saying that the Bible isn't something we can go by, but those warnings are warning about them doing exactly what they are. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? I was talking to some colleagues the other day, just a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about some confrontations we had with some progressive thinkers in the community. And we were kind of discussing ways that, you know, whether we should, in some ways, about maybe we, we could separate ourselves from those progressive thinkers, from those progressive churches. And I remember saying, I can't believe we're talking about this. I don't think we could have predicted this 10 years ago. But here we are today. How did this come about? How did we get here? I think it's because we, we really bought into these statements. Statements like, you really have to be careful what you say in public. That, that if we get too churchy, we might repel people. That we, can't, we don't need to offend people by talking about Jesus all the time. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say that within the church. Or maybe we just think we just need to kick the can down the road. That, that maybe if we just ignore this long enough, it'll go away. And that's kind of our human pension. Our human pension is basically to, to, to try to avoid a temporary discomfort by confronting someone with the truth. Honestly, we do. And every day we try to avoid that. But you know, we're not the only ones that have tried to do that. In the book of Isaiah, to kind of lay out this verse that I'm going to share with you, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, was bringing in the Babylonians to confer in the kingdom. And, and he, was, he got a little braggy, and he was showing off the opulence of the kingdom. He was showing, you know, the, the strength of their armies and the size of their war chests and everything. And so, 
Isaiah had this to say. He offered this prophecy from God. He said, Hear the word, O Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons will come from you. Whom you will father shall be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You know what that means. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, at least there will be peace and security in my days. You know, when I was in business, when I was working in the design industry, we had to uh, select materials for buildings. And you know, everything has an expiration date. Uh, You know, a roof is going to need to be replaced in so many years, if, uh, some 15, some 30. You know, and if you want the, the roof that's going to last longer, you've got to pay more money for it. But sometimes the owners didn't have it in their budget. And so we would try to make them feel comfortable about, comfortable about their decision by saying, you know, by the time it's a problem, it won't be yours. You'll be long gone. Isn't that what Hezekiah was saying? It wasn't going to be my problem, Hezekiah was saying. He was saying it was going to be my grandchildren's problem. I think we kick the can down the road. Maybe that's what, that explains the quiet ambivalence of the church as the world changes around us. That it's not our problem right now. It's going to be somebody's problem later on. As citizens of a free country, we have a voice. And I think that we should use it. We have a say in electing officials that might protect our religious freedom. I personally think we should speak up when our freedoms are being threatened. You know, at those hearings for the fairness ordinance, uh, there were 13 people that stood up and demanded that an ordinance be passed without an exemption that protected religious freedom. But then 13 ministers and lay leaders stood up uh, beside them and demanded that it be added, that we would accept it if it included these exemptions. And there was a city council member, and I'm not going to name them to embarrass them, but they were vehemently opposed to, religious, to a religious exemption. But you know what? If those 13 leaders, those 13 ministers, had not stood up, it would have been taken out. It would have. And then your freedoms here in our own community, whether you knew it or not, would have been effective, could have been in jeopardy. We can have an effect on policy within our areas of influence. And like I said, I think we should. But only if it's related to God's purpose. Not for our own selfish reasons or, for, or to satisfy our own worldview. It's, it's necessary and it's justified only if it involves our ability to answer Christ's commission on our lives. You know, we're going to be persecuted. We're being persecuted now. And sometimes we're shocked when it happens. I think because we felt immune to it in the past. But it's happening today. But Jesus' words, they were a promise, not a prediction. Persecution is here. Some agree that we're being persecuted. And they claim that, well, that's yes, we're being persecuted. But we just need to turn the other cheek. And there's truth to that. But that's an incomplete statement. Just to say, we're, you know, it's not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, turn the other cheek. Jesus warned us about the persecution when he said, we'll be dragged in before governors and before kings. We'll be dragged before church leaders 
will be dragged before secular leaders. Did he tell us that we needed to blow up and riot and we need to burn stuff down? No, he didn't tell us to do that. Did he say we needed to go hide in a corner and cower? He didn't say that either. Did he say we need to be careful not to offend anyone with his name? He didn't say that either. He said we need to celebrate our persecution as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He said, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. The last time I stood before that city council, I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I let the Lord guide me. The room was half full of some very lost people. And I got up and I told them about Jesus. I got up and told them what I believed. I told them that Jesus offered salvation to them if they would accept it. I told them that I loved them because Jesus loved me first. I got up and I proclaimed the Word of God in a public setting. The very next day I was scolded by a progressive minister here in the town saying that I espoused theology in a public meeting and that there was no place for that. You know, what he was saying was, is there was no place for my theology. He was saying there was no place to talk about, that's no place to talk about Jesus. And I told him respectfully how terribly wrong that I thought he was. The public square is exactly where we need to share the word of Christ. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is, this is kind of, of a personal thing, but I'm tired of being told what to say in public. I'm tired of being told to avoid calling God's word the truth. And I'm sick and tired of being told, people that, being told by people that I can't offend people by talking about Jesus. Are there going to be consequences for doing that? Yeah. That's what Jesus said. Maybe we're exiled from our community. I don't know. Maybe we're, maybe we're thrown in prison at some point in our lives. But that's a stand we're going to have to take. One that really isn't optional if you claim to abide in Christ, if you, if you claim to walk with Him. We have to stand up for the gospel. When they come for us, we need to take the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Jesus said, by standing firm, you will win your souls. Yep, there's going to be sanctions. Uh, you, you may be punished. You know, some people actually lose their jobs over the gospel in our times today. Some of, at some point, our lives might be in jeopardy. It could happen. Well, I'll end all that by sharing with you what Jesus said our reward for our boldness in Him would be. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And I think that's what's at stake.